What is up, internets? Welcome to Self-Defense from All Angles, the podcast where we try to expand the conversation surrounding self-defense. I'm your host, Randy King, owner of 8020 Conflict Management Strategies. This week, we're talking with Dr. Bill Kennedy. The entire podcast this week is all about his grand unified model of violence, where he believes that the standard social model of violence, social versus asocial, doesn't go deep enough and doesn't explain a lot of things. So the entire episode is dedicated to him explaining this grand unified model, which I find very interesting. Also on the Patreon portion, he goes into a talk about how we should stop saying fight, flight, or freeze. Speaking from his experience as a psychologist and a hostage negotiator and all the crazy things that Dr. Bill has done. So check out the episode as always, do all the internet things. And if you, your organization, or your company are looking for more information when it comes to proactive self-defense that is education driven, I'm available for workshops, seminars, and keynote speeches for your group. Now let's get to the show. What is up? Today we have Dr. Bill Kennedy on the show. Doc has something really cool I want to talk about today. But first, as always, Doc, why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? So I'm Dr. Bill Kennedy. Doc, hey, that one dude over there, he called a lot of different stuff. I am a clinical psychologist and forensic and sports psychologist in the Midwest in, in Ohio. I have worked as everywhere from a prison psychologist to, to doing court reports and evaluations for competency to stand trial and not guilty by reason of insanity. I am also a hostage negotiator and the psychologist for a couple of local police departments. I have a private practice where I see clients, individuals, families do psychological testing as well. Been doing this for about 30 years almost. And then in the other part of my life, I'm also a martial artist, do some Japanese martial arts, judo, jiu-jitsu, and do some kung fu, and have been teaching self-protection for about the same amount of time. That is awesome. So obviously you have a little bit of experience in this field. This is why I wanted you on the show because the point of self-defense from all angles is to talk to people who are not just self-defense coaches like myself, but are actually kind of dealing with this in a day-to-day version. I find personally that the more successful we become as self-defense coaches, the further we get removed from the people that actually need it. So the point of this show is yeah. to, right? Because the people that can pay the bills aren't necessarily the people that are in trouble. I want to I want to make sure it doesn't happen. So the first question we always ask is, what is your definition of self-defense? So that's a really good question. In terms of self-defense, we actually don't teach self-defense. We teach self-protection. And for me, those are different things. If you think about defense, you're always thinking about an antagonist and a defender. You always think about someone intentionally doing something. Self-defense is also a legal concept. We teach self-protection. If you think about the things you protect yourself from, maybe they have malice, maybe they don't. Protection is putting on a seatbelt. Protection is looking both ways before you cross the street. Protection is stopping someone from doing something that hurts you. So really, we're looking at self-protection. And self-protection for me is recognizing potential harms, recognizing that I am okay with keeping myself and people that I care about safe and taking 
taking actions, taking thoughts, and regulating my emotions in such a way that I am effective at doing those things. That's a great definition. And this is the reason why we ask this question. Everybody's definition of it's so squishy. My whole book, the whole like chat, first chapter of it is what self-defense is and what my version <laughs> of it is. It's funny. So many people say they're teaching self-defense and mm -hmm. they all are to their own definition of what it is because there isn't a unified sure. definition of it. He who defines the terms wins the argument. Interesting. So yeah, we got to get these terms defined because it's frustrating when I chat with people and 90% of the discussion is whose term we're using today, right? As opposed to just trying right. to get to the actual problem. Next up, I'd like to ask all the guests is what is something you wish more people knew about self-defense or self-protection? Now, normally this would go into their industry, but you have been working on a new kind of, I think you called it like a unified theory of violence. And I really want to just dive yes. into that because from what I've heard of it, I like it. And I definitely think there needs to be a switch from just the social versus asocial kind of thing. And your model so far from what I've heard is very interesting. So can you like walk us through that? Sure. So Grand Unified Model of Violence, Gumby. So as a psychologist, you are never supposed to call something a grand unifying model. That's kind of like the most arrogant thing in the world you can do. I had a good supervisor and a good, good personal friend who once told me I'm a grandiose mother. And I don't know what we can say on here, so I'll just say mother. I let that stick. So this is a grand unifying model. And it ties together animal models in terms of aggression, evolutionary models in terms of aggression, social and psychological models in terms of aggression, and pulls those all together. And I think it plugs the holes that each one of those tends to have. And that's why we think of it as a grand model of unifying these different things. What you found with the animal research, if you can't really ask an animal why it does something other than human animals, and even human animals do a really crappy job of really telling you why they did something. Very true. So this model tries to tie those things together. And I guess one thing that I would want people to know is that there are different types of violence and that things that make some types of violence better make other types of violence worse. And if you can't tell what kind of violence you're experiencing, then you're going to run into a lot of problems. I like that you're using the animal models. We had a guest on for episode, I forget what it was, Omar Ahmad. He's a neuroscientist. We were talking about oh, this and he perfect. was using he was using the cat study, right? The yes, one in uh -huh. like the 60s or 70s where there was affective uh -huh. aggression versus... Silent biting, which is the predatory. Right, exactly. And defensive. So yeah. the hissing. So a lot of this is going to build on that. It's also going to point out the, the gaps that are missing pieces in that. So yes. why don't we, why don't you start walking us through it right now? Where would we start? Where I would start is with what we call our ADAPT model. And that ADAPT model is something we developed to help people be able to keep themselves safe. And so that ADAPT model involves assessing and gathering information. This was kind of developed initially for healthcare professionals to help other healthcare professionals using the skills that they already have. So every person and every healthcare professional specifically, really everybody does the same types of thing. One is accepting and gathering data. I notice things, information coming in through my senses. Second, I make some kind of diagnosis. I decide what that information means. I pull it together, given what I know about those types of situations. Th third, I, I assess that 
And that assessment takes into account both my diagnosis of what's happening and it takes into account what resources I have, what skills, talents, and things like that I have. Then I make a prescription. I decide what I'm going to do about that situation. And then I take action. That model, which kind of fits a little bit with an UDA model in some ways, sure. there's some overlap there. That model, being able to make a diagnosis means I have to know something about violence. Right. I have to understand some things about it. And that's where the Gumby model comes in. There, just for the listeners, because again, we're kind of coming to like brand new people in the self-defense violence space. OODA is O-O-D-A, which is a reactionary model people use that stands for observe, orient, decide, and act. So stimulus happens, and then you go through this decision process. Sorry, continue. So it kind of ties in with that. So in that, I have to be able to tell what's happening and that's where Gumby comes in. And Gumby looks at violence and it says, really, there are three different kinds of violence. Okay. There is predatory violence. Right. That is the violence that you use as a tool. Sometimes it's called instrumental violence. Sometimes it's called asocial violence. Right. But it's all based evolutionarily on me hunting. I'm using that violence as a tool to get something. Affective violence. Yeah. Sometimes this is called emotional violence. It's called reactionary violence. It's called social why, violence. Why Why do you feel there's so many different terms for the same thing? Well, we've existed a long time, first of all. <laughs> Fair enough. And this phenomena, if it's accurate, goes through every, be comfortable saying every vertebrate, but probably every species. So we've observed this a lot and there's a lot of different people and every human has their own theory about how we work anyhow. You know, there are all these psychological theories about this and that, but at the end of the day, they're just people and every person has their idea of how things work. So there are going to be a lot of different vantage points. You've also got the phenomena. If I've got my cell phone here and you want to know what it looks like, you get a picture of this side and you get a picture of this side, you get a picture of that. And if you get pictures of a lot of different angles, you have a more pic more accurate representation of it. And all right. these people are getting different pictures of different angles of violence. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to have a lot of terms that kind of weave into each other because they're all talking about a different aspect of it. Right. And I think that makes sense. It's kind of like people are coming from where they started, right? So we're looking yeah. at it from this aspect, like from this aspect. I always just found it curious because mm -hmm. people want this element of, all right, this is figured out. These are the facts. This is what you need to know. And now we can just move on with our lives. And that doesn't seem to be whatever happens in research and it probably shouldn't. So just to clear up these terms, so going back, you were, I think you were starting right. to talk about the social side. Of it. The social or affective violence. Mm -hmm. Affect in this case is very specific. People get into problems because all kinds of emotions are going on, but very specifically, they're talking about anxiety, fear, and anger. They're talking about sympathetic nervous system arousal. Right. And that's the kind of violence that you do when you perceive something as a threat and you use violence in some way to keep yourself safe. So yes, there are a lot of emotions involved in a lot of different things, but when they say affective violence, emotional violence, they're very specifically talking about that emotion and that state of arousal because there's some kind of perceived threat. So those first two models are the ones that you see in all the research and all the animal studies and the neurology and things like that. Right. But if you think about it, there's another piece that gets missed. And that's the piece that probably a lot of our audience are, are connected to and know, mm -hmm. ones that you and I know. We've both done, if I remember right, we've both done combat sports, right? Correct. You and I. And so when I do combat sports, that's violence. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, unless you are an, a female MMA fighter who 
won a couple matches with arm bars and then lost really big, not mentioning any names. Of course not, no. In one of her fights, you saw affective violence when she got rocked and she got scared and she was fighting to keep herself safe. Mm -hmm. But short of that, people aren't typically using that kind of fighting. They're using some kind of predatory violence. Only unless they're one who's just fighting for the purse, they're enjoying what they're doing. Right. They are fighting, and it's not for a secondary gain. Predatory is for a secondary gain, but that's not for a secondary gain. This is because I enjoy the actual act of doing violence. And that enjoyment It's something that I can't ask a cat. Do you enjoy chasing mice? Right. That is pleasure-seeking, appetitive, like appetite, dopaminergic. That's a different kind of violence. And so that kind of violence rounds out a lot of the research. It gets missed. Right. So really, there are those three different kinds of violence that you see. All of them have biological basis and evolutionary basis, but they and they all serve different functions. If you don't know which one you're dealing with, you can run into trouble. So our model really looks at three different kinds of violence. And we would argue that any kind of behavior can map onto any one of those three. So just as kind of an overview. So we have the standard kind of social, asocial, right? And the definition you've used, which I I enjoy, and of course, correct me if I'm wrong here. I just want to reiterate so I know I'm getting it. Predatory violence is for secondary gain. Social violence is more for protection of yourself in that moment. And dopaminergic is you you enjoy it. Yes, affective. So affective and social don't, they're not interchangeable. Um, They can be, but they're not necessarily. I don't call it social because although it typically happens in a social context, all violence happens in social context. Okay. It is more about it being a threat and something that I do to protect myself from the threat. And that's the emphasis of it. So that's why it's Um, effective because affecting the moment they're in at the moment. Okay. And where predatory is secondary gain. And and, and that affective arousal, A-F-F-E-C-T, is what researchers mean when they say flight or fight, when they talk about that sympathetic nervous system turning on, they call that affective arousal. So that's where that grace comes from in there. Interesting. Okay. So the kind of the five, there's like five F's or six F's now they're, they're just adding them all the time, but the, let's say we go with the fight flight basic, that would be under affective. That would not be under the dopaminergic or the predatory. Correct. Correct. So those are kind of the three different kinds, any kind of any kind of violence can fit into those different categories. Mm -hmm. So with predatory violence, like you said, it is a secondary motivator. It is, I am using this violence as a tool in order to get this thing. Now, if I think about hunting, some things come out in that. One, I need good, solid, steady nerves. If I'm all jittery, I am not going to be a good hunter. If that cat, they were talking about the cats, if the cat is hissing when it's trying to hunt that bird, it's going to scare the bird off. Right. So sometimes it's called quiet. It is low affect. It is low arousal. If I'm too aroused, I do things to calm myself down, for example. I talked before about people kind of petting themselves, right? things like that to bring down. That's to turn off that flight or fight, that arousal, and let my frontal lobe kick in. Because the other thing about it is it's a thinking type of violence. Interesting. My frontal lobe, the part that's in charge of judgment, reasoning, problem solving, planning, all those things, it turns off the more aroused I am. Right. I need that turned down. This needs to be just business. I need to be able to think this through. I need to be able to So when they say someone is cold-blooded, when they say someone is calculating, mm-hmm. that's code for low arousal. That's code right. for predatory. 
because a good predator can't afford to scare off its prey before it gets to it. Okay. Fine motor skills improve. Gross motor skills aren't as big a deal. Those kind of things, because grabbing a berry or throwing a spear or whatever requires me to be able to have that kind of coordination. Interesting. The system in my body that works for that is the reward system. It is the same feeling that you get when you get to the next level on a video game, when you find a $20 bill sitting in the couch. All that system is the reward system. It, it goes, when I get a reward, it reinforces me doing it again. Okay. That's the system that gets activated when it is predatory violence. Right. Well, let's look at the third. So the third one, I think, is the most important thing to talk about. Dopaminergic. Yes. Because I'd never mm -hmm. heard that term before you mentioned to me. And if, as you know, I'm always looking for better ways to get this in people's heads mm -hmm. and short forms. And that's kind of my deal. Mm -hmm. And when you said it, I was like, oh, that's super interesting. Because this is the thing. Like when you look at MMA, you were mentioning that as dopaminergic. And I would agree from the definition, hopefully we'll provide for everybody. But the one I already know mm -hmm. from us talking. And it was always hard for you to explain like mixed martial artists lived in their cars, right? Like, because a lot of mixed martial artists, no offense to you all, I love you, but a lot of you guys are broke because, you know, you're training all the time. It requires a lot of energy and time to become mm -hmm. good at this, right? Training six hours a day sometimes. You can't really hold down a job. This isn't a judgment call. It's just the, the, the reality of the situation. Yep. Now, mm -hmm. I always classify that under social violence and because of the pecking order, like they wanted to look like they were tough and strong. But I think this is a better explanation. So can you walk us through dopaminergic and kind of some examples definitely, of that? Definitely. So dopaminergic initially thought of as a subset of predatory, but it really kind of drives a little differently. So it is like predatory in that it is still the reward system that's turned on. It is still that dopamine rush. But instead of focusing on that as I want to use this violence to get some other thing, the violence is the thing that I want. Right. The feeling that I get when I'm able to master something, the feeling that I get when I'm able to do something, achieve something, that's the whole purpose behind it. That's the whole driving force. So we call it dopaminergic, but we've, we've started taking to calling it pleasure-seeking, pleasure-seeking or appetitive. Appetitive is appetite. I have an appetite. So when you look at research and they talk about bloodlust, Right. They talk about, like, I got into the fervor of the battle. Sure. That's appetitive violence. That's dopaminergic violence. That's pleasure-seeking violence. I'm just doing it because I really freaking enjoy this feeling that I get in doing this thing. Interesting. And again, because you can't measure that with cats and dogs, where a lot of the hard research comes from, it fell off the table. No one really kind of picked it up and noticed it, unless you look at soft social scientists who research this. What some of the research what says, too, is at first, these this kind of violence is scary, is affective, is that arousal, is that fear. And I do it enough times, the fear starts dropping away and I start enjoying doing this thing. Interesting. This is, so this is something like, I think anybody who's been a force professional, force professional being a police officer, military bouncer, anybody that's kind of used violence as a method to do their job. Mm -hmm. This is something we all kind of go through, right? Where it starts as super yeah. scary and then you get accustomed to it and then eventually become too accustomed to it and you get back into the dangers zone like the beginning exactly it yes yeah it scares the snot out of me at first right right because there's this rush them but i do that enough times that it's no longer scary and then i enjoy it mm, interesting and i'm enjoying it and then i'm enjoying the feeling i get doing this thing 
an and appetite I, for it. And I think this is where we first had this. So we've had this discussion kind of once before. Then we had it when I was down there at your club, we were teaching and yeah. we were doing my threat assessment class, right? And so mm-hmm. I was saying- right. Predatory violence has always been kind of interesting to me because it sounds like it's evil, even though it's just for a secondary thing. And the better trained you are in the old model, the closer you got to predatory violence, the more efficient you became, the calmer you became, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. You're saying that that's not necessarily true, but it could go to the dopaminergic side because you're learning how to control the arousal state. So it's not necessarily going towards predatory. It's just that now you can control it and you're actually enjoying it. So you're staying in that that prefrontal cortex, that thinking part of your brain. So I'm doing it. Yes, I'm, I'm staying in that frontal part of my brain, that frontal lobe, prefrontal cortex. If I'm doing this because this is just my job and I'm really good at it. I I like doing this because I'm good at it. But at the end of the day, this is my job. Then it's going to be more predatory. If it's, I like the feeling I get when I do my job. Right. That's my main focus. I'm willing to be broke and drive around and sit and leave in my car because it feels so good being in the cage. Right. And that's dopaminergic. The funny thing is it may look affective. It may look like defensive violence. Mm -hmm. And here's where people get into trouble a lot. For those of you who don't know what a monkey dance is, monkey dance, if you've ever seen a, a guy age six through 80, you've probably seen a monkey dance. Two guys are at a bar. One guy's across looking at the other one, staring off. What are you looking at? The other one's like, what am I looking at? What are you looking at? I'm not looking at much. You come at me. And what happens is you see these people going kind of going back and forth. In that situation, someone, both of them possibly are perceiving threats. Whether the threat is tangible, you're going to take my girl to my status. I'm going to look like a punk. To me, physically, you're going to hit me. There's something I'm perceiving as a threat. And that dance back and forth, that escalation is an attempt to reduce that threat by posturing, by physically fighting, whatever. I'm trying, my main goal is to get myself to, to make this threat not hurt me. So we've seen that. Here's what it looks like when it's dopaminergic. What you don't see before that are two guys talking to each other. And one says, hey man, watch this, get your camera out. Hey, what are you looking at? What are you looking at? Not much. Now the person that initiated isn't feeling threatened. Right. They're not afraid. They like jacking this guy up. They like the feeling they get when they can get one over on them. They're having people take pictures of it. This isn't a monkey dance because I'm not afraid. In monkey dance, both of them are perceiving a threat and the driving force is their threat. In this, I like the feeling of being able to make people look like idiots in front of people. Mm -hmm. I want an audience to see that, not because my esteem will go down, but because I like the feeling of dominating people. It looks like the same thing, but the escalate, the way that you de-escalate it is completely different. Looking at this from like a very modern term, this is like the, it's just a prank bro kind of people, right? They're, they're going out, they're doing stuff, they're causing violence. Like, whoa, 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 it's just a prank. It's, you know, we're just trying to get these views or whatever. So while there is status doing it, they're doing it because they enjoy the act of it, not because it's a necessary need because they actually a threat. They're creating the threat to get that dopaminergic pump back. Yes. Yes, exactly. Okay. And we missed that totally. In self-protection, we completely missed that. Put you on the spot for a second. Do you know any knock-knock jokes? The orange one, that's about it. So here's how you de-escalate dopaminergic violence. All right, I'm ready for it. Mm -hmm. Knock-knock. Come in. (laughs) You know that feeling? I took away your reward. Right. There's a script we're supposed to follow, and I get this feeling when I do the knock. Damn, man, I don't get to. That's the action. That's the intent behind de-escalating. 
you're the guy who's doing the the what are you looking at? And I start crying. Fun is it to beat up somebody who's crying? That's not. Right. I don't. I don't feel great about. I'm taking away your reward. So your best step to de-escalate dopaminergic violence is to pattern break, to break the expected pattern of what is going to happen. This is a sales tactic. This is a marketing thing. Yeah but you mm-hmm. want to break the pattern. So I say A, I expect you to say B, and you say four. You're like, whoa, that's not the sequence that I'm using. Yes, I pattern break or I do what I do with predatory violence. I make them know that the reward that they're expecting is not going to happen. What are you looking at? Nothing. What are you looking at? Right. And I draw either one of those. To, oh, I'm not going to get this reward that I wanted. So but, pattern but break or it. juice isn't worth the squeeze, right? We're going to break the pattern yes. or, yep. or you don't want none yep. of this. The, the work of squeezing this fruit is not worth the little bit of juice you're going to get out of it. Exactly. Standard de-escalation for that monkey dance of my bad, I was just having a bad day. Doesn't do it when it's dopaminergic, any more than making myself small when it's a predator makes the predator decide not to hunt me. No, that draws them in. So that's why I have to be able to see all three of the different kinds, know how they escalate, be able to recognize that pattern that's there. That's super interesting. So going forward with this, because you obviously are trying to bring this, this model out a little bit. What do you think the major benefit of people adopting this model is over any of the other ones? I'm a grandiose MF. <laughs> I think that this is a really good way for people to be safer, to be able to protect themselves better. And to reiterate what you said, and something I say all the time in my classes and Instagram and everything, if you're following me, is if you don't know what type of violence you're dealing with, you might use the wrong de-escalation tactics, right? If you grew up in social violence or domestic abuse situation, the things you did to not cause trouble there might draw predators towards you because that's your skill set. Or if you've only like calmed down drunk uncles at family reunions or in a social violence setting using the older model, then that might not work against a predator. So you're adding a third vector, which I think is super important. So you would say then the three pillars of this are affective, predatory, and pleasure-seeking or dopaminergic. Those are the three officials kind of? Correct. Awesome. And are you putting this out somewhere? Are you, can people access this? Is there a future plan for it? Or is this kind of just still in the incubation stage? We're putting it out there in, when we do trainings. Right. I'm working, been working for a while, but still working on some written stuff in the form of a book, working on some papers too, and putting it out into kind of the science community and forums like this. We do some online forums, educational forums, uh, just to kind of get people knowing about it. That is awesome. So why don't you tell the listeners where they can get a hold of you or contact you or find this kind of stuff? So you guys can get a hold of us at K-C-A-N-D-T, K-C-N-T.com. Okay. There's our webpage. I am drkennedy at psyd.org. And you can definitely hit us up on Facebook at Team Torque MMA or on Insta. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate this. I'm excited. We've been talking about trying to do this and talk about this for a while. Right. Finally happened. There were so many things that slowed it down. Again, listeners, if you have any questions, feel free to leave them in the comments. I can shoot them over. Stuff happening for me. European tours happening. Me and Mr. Rory Miller, we're going over there. And as always, join us on Patreon for the one up, which is what is a story you tell at the table to be the coolest person at the table. So if uh, you want to hear a doc story, or we might talk about some of this a little bit more, jump over to patreon patreon.com slash randy king live and you can find everything there all of the stuff including all of my former podcasts i know a lot of you are missing the debate and a lot of you are missing that you all miss talking to savages still even though that was crazy it was just me and my friend drunk but people loved it they loved it all of that every single episode 
is on my Patreon. So just jump over there at the $5 level. You get every single podcast I've ever done, all the content plus all the extra content. Anyways, I'm done promoting. Thanks again for your time and we will jump over to Patreon.